Hello, everyone. My name is Jeff Benjamin, along with Bruce Kelly, and this is The Investment News Podcast. This week, we're talking to Nathan Parkins, president of Mole Financial and also president of FinCap Advisors. We're going to hear all about that. Nathan is very fluent in the world of cannabis investing, which is a a very hot topic and something we write about a lot, mostly because it's fun to write the headlines of, you know, investors are high on pop stock, <laughs> like that. But then we're going to, when we're done browbeating Nathan, we're going to get to uh, some recent writing and research that Bruce Kelly did on the RIA consolidation space. And uh, I got a, I got a preview read of that earlier today. And it's, uh, it was really a good education about what are some of the early drivers of all the M&A activity and some of the big buyers there. So, uh, before we get to Nathan, how you doing, Bruce? Everything going all right there? Uh, early spring in New York City? Uh, late winter. A late still winter. Late okay. winter. It's still going to drop into the 20s, I think, this week or something. So still going to be icy, but I'm looking forward today. We got from everything from weed to RA roll-ups. So uh, you could combine that into rolling up weed or something. I, I don't uh, uh, I, I know. A, a heck of a party and <laughs> probably a pretty good hangover. But... Uh, so that sounds well, let's like talk a to Nathan. Yeah. perfect segue to bring in Nathan. Nathan, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me, guys. And yeah, doing well. Fortunately, I am uh, I'm not rolling into anything at the moment. So okay. <laughs> You're oh, out yeah. in Illinois, Nathan, right? I am indeed. So we are, I think, finally getting a little bit of nice weather. After a cold February, it is definitely nice to have this now. Yes. Okay. Hey, Nathan, tell us, uh, you got two different businesses there. I know I've interviewed you once in the past, and I think you did some video for us recently, but yeah, Mole Financial and then FinCap Advisors, they both sound very sophisticated and professional and, and financial, but I know they're not completely the same, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So started Mole Financial about a little over a year ago. That's more or less the financial planning, investment management piece of the business that I work with with clients. FinCap Advisors is my consulting arm, uh, if you want to look at it that way. So we work with more small startup companies focusing on cash flow, more or less in that startup phase. So that's kind of where I got integrated with some of the more CBD, marijuana-based terminology, if you may, throughout my career. Okay. That's what we want to talk to you about. The the marijuana, the cannabis investing, the the CBD, which I don't understand how that got spun off as a major <laughs> deal from cannabis. I, I As I, I was telling you, Nathan, earlier when we were talking that I know a lot of states, it's legal for medicinal purposes and, and recreational purposes. I lived in Michigan up until a year ago where it's legal for, I think, just about everything. But prior to it being legalized for recreational, which is basically no holds barred, at least in Michigan, I never saw all these CBD oil. I mean, I see these things now in gas stations they're selling. Right. Jeff, can we just start? Can we start by asking Nathan just like the background and the basics of all this stuff? Like, how did it? In my mind, I just want to separate the two different tracks: the legalization of marijuana for either medical use or recreational use in various states? And then how do you invest in that? So do you mind us asking Nathan a little bit about that, a little background, and then getting into all this other stuff? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, that was kind of getting into all that other stuff. But if you want to start with the the history of legalization, we can do that. Just a, just a, so Nathan, just a little bit of background 
obviously for the past 10 years or so, the past decade, there's been this move by the states to legalize marijuana. That's led to investment in various businesses attached, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. So, you know, with, with hemp, we have hemp and you have CBD, you have typical marijuana, right? And when people think of marijuana and marijuana now being legal, that's kind of where I think the average consumer is thinking like, that's the excitement, right? Oh, finally get to smoke legally in my state of Michigan. And fun fact, I was originally from Michigan as well. So, you know, I'm right there with you, Jeff. (laughs) But when you think about like the complexities of the plant, you have the kind of the hemp derived plant, right? The hemp plant versus the more cannabis plant of the like the marijuana plant. And so both of those have CBD components to each plant. It's just in the cannabis plant, you have higher levels of THC as opposed to uh, CBD. Versus and, the T- the- and the THC is the active ingredient. Correct. But there's still That's what people want if you want to have the recreational use of it or get high, basically. Exactly. It has that like psychedelic feeling, right? Whereas the hemp plant, that has more characteristics and has much higher, more potency of the CBD part of that plant. So, but they're basically the same type of plant. It's just basically looking at the two differences and the legal level of a hemp plant is 0.3% of THC. So there's still some THC in there, but it's not going to do anything to your psychotic thinking. That makes sense. And so, you know, I think when looking back at when hemp was legalized back in 2018, and then you've had several states for the last decade that have been, you know, Colorado was obviously, you know, one of the first to do so. And I think you just kind of continue to see this movement. Uh, and now I, I don't know if it's what, 27 or 30, is it 27 or 37 states that are now either some way, shape or form have either fully legalized marijuana or have now, you know, at least said for medicinal purposes, you can take it, right? If you have a supporting card to go purchase it. Right. But I, I think when you start looking at the investing piece of this, it's really fascinating. So as I commented before, the consumer thinks of, okay, I can smoke this plant or roll it up and do whatever. And that's where all this extreme growth is coming from, which sure, like you have your typical, you know, canopy growth, you have your various different cannabis funds that you can invest in, where there's like Aurora that's based up in Canada, Afria, which I think is more of a US based, so you have all these different stocks that are growing what people think is just the pot plant. But some of those companies are also doing other things. And that, that to me is where I see the big growing opportunity within the cannabis industry. It's not so much the actual smoking THC plant, I'm going to get high today. It's the, oh, these hemp derived products, the CBD derived products that are going to be on retail shelves. That, that's kind of where I see the, the larger scale growth versus just, you know, having a plant that's legal that I can now smoke and not go to jail for. Right. But couldn't we have had all of those other benefits from hemp prior to recreational and medicinal use? Yes and no. I mean, back in the day, yeah, I think it was like what, in the 1930s when one of the, I think one of the presidents or... There's someone important back then. Uh, they had own... <laughs> <laughs> well, someone had their own hemp farm, yeah. right? And then eventually it became illegal to have hemp. But I think it goes back in 2018, the Senate approved the farm, uh, farm bill. So now from an agriculture state perspective, you can harvest hemp, which is great. 
but there's it's really weird when you're working with a small startup. So one of the companies I work with uh, is called Half Dave CBD. And going through and looking at, hey, how do you advertise? You can't, I could post the same exact picture of the same product, call one hemp, call one CBD. One gets flagged by advertising from like Facebook or Instagram. The other one, no issues. Same the exact product. The CBD doesn't get flagged. No, no. the CBD does get flagged. Does get flagged. Because and- they are associating CBD with the cannabis plant. I see. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating kind of seeing that effect. But yeah, if now that hemp is becoming this, it's coming back. Again, it's one of the stronger plants out there. Supposedly, it's supposed to be strong, stronger than wood, which, especially from like the microfibers, based on how the plant's built. Well, they used to make rope out of it, right? Yeah, I mean. they still do. <laughs> so, and, and I think when you're looking from a global impact, hemp, CBD, has a much wider range in terms of the, especially when you look at individuals where there may be some, I don't want the psychedelic effect of weed, right? Like I'm personally one of those people. I don't like the psychedelic effect of weed, but I take CBD oil, I take CBD gummies and it reduces anxiety. It helps you sleep at night. And and those are some great qualities that, hey, there's no- Is, Is that for real? Because people I've listened to some of my millennial- friends and colleagues argue that point. Some people say it's it doesn't work. Some people say it does have the effect that you described. And I'll go on record here and say I'm not a scientist, right? Uh, and <laughs> I have no science background whatsoever. You're a financial it, planner, man. Come on. <laughs> exactly. I would, I would maybe defer to my brother who's a vet. Uh, but, okay. uh, that, that's, that's kind of the farthest I would go. But just from talking to people in the industry, there is this, and I'll speak like I had a pain in my knee and I started taking CBD oil and my knee felt better after like two or three months. Whether or not it was some some magic, I don't know. Or my brain's just like, <laughs> nope, you're fine. Sure. But at the end of the day, I think there is some real stuff behind it. So how do you invest? If this is like a fast growing recreational and medicinal product, are there ETFs? Are there funds? Are there... I mean, I'm stepping on Jeff's toes here. My colleague, uh, the professor, knows all about the different vehicles for this. <laughs> but what's the question, Jeff? How, how do you invest in this, or should you should you invest, or like what's the what's the way to phrase this? Yeah, let's let's Nathan take this over to our audience of financial advisors and you know look at the investment opportunities here. We can see that this is this is spreading with more and more states opening. For recreational, it's a growth, it's a growth industry, but right? it's still so. it, it. One big anchor is that it's still not legal at the federal level. There's a lot of people thinking that with current administration and, and Congress that they might make that a priority to legalize cannabis at the federal level. What it seems like they've got a lot of other things on their plate that it would probably get priority over that. The states, the state capitals in Washington need the tax revenue, man. This is a brand new product to slap a big fat tax on. You know, I don't know why they wouldn't want to. Right. So, I mean, anyway, but from an investing perspective, we know that there are just a few ETFs out there offering some exposure and they're incredibly volatile. I checked out three of the main ones and they're all up well this year, but they were all, I think, down last year. Nathan, with your background and the two businesses that you're in charge of, I got to imagine that you're looking at the investment angle here, right? Absolutely. And 
it's really interesting when you look at some of the different ETFs. You know, again, there's probably like eight or nine different cannabis funds that are available that have like a diversity of, you know, stocks that they're invested in, right? Some of them are your, again, Canadian focus group. You have some that are 100% US companies. And I, I think, and to me, this is more where I kind of provide caution on some of the area because as much as I like the cannabis industry, I think there's areas that cannabis touches where you'll really see the compound growth of what cannabis will provide. It's not necessarily just the cannabis stock of the one who produces the most flour. But you look at, you know, MJ is one of your largest, I think it's like the largest EFT for cannabis ETF. stocks. Or, yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, ETF <laughs> that's out there. But, you know, their top 10 holdings, they account for 75% of the position. So that's why you're having that huge volatility when hey, we're going to approve it. It's going to go up. But the other concern there is once everything gets approved, if that actually happens, you know, right now the price per pound for, for marijuana, for like those buds, it's up to, up to $1,500 right now. If you legalize everything, you're going to really dilute the value. And so you could have some of these companies that you're forecasting this extreme growth where the price per pound drops to, I think I've seen you quoted anywhere between, you know, 40 to 100 bucks per pound. Wow. And, and because dropped, it would have, because big agribusinesses would become interested in it then, right? And would start, there'd be, there'd be more capital behind mass production of the, of the plant. Absolutely. Right? Of, of, of the crop, rather. Absolutely. So like, there is still some cause for concern. So for me, looking at, okay, do I want to invest in just a marijuana stock company or a portfolio that has 25, 30 different marijuana, cannabis-related stocks? For me, that's no. But others may feel differently. Where I like to get excited about the industry is looking more at some of the companies that are kind of reaching the technology the logistics, the distribution, where like you have, for example, Scott's Miracle Grow. I know that's in MJ's portfolio, but like that's a smart position in my opinion to have because it, from a, if you think about like the synergies between the two companies, between what they could do for a canopy, what they can do for some of the greenhouses that are going to be created. Well, that that's what they that's what they said about the gold rush. The people that made the money were the people selling the picks and shovels. Absolutely, right. There's only so much gold to go around. You should launch an ETF with those uh, the uh, the cannabis picks and shovels, Nathan. Come on. Well, right now you're already starting to have a few of those pop up. So you, I mean, I think there was a record year last year of these SPACs that were being uh, oh, that were going. Don't SPAC me. Don't give me a SPAC. Oh, <laughs> don't get, don't get started on SPACs. Oh, I'll no. SPAC you all day. But one in particular, if you look at you know Silver Spike, I think they put together a few hundred million dollars. And but they merged with W Holding, WM Holdings, and there they have different one of the main like partners underneath that is Weed Maps. So they're an online listing marketplace for cannabis consumers. So as you're having more of these CBD companies that are coming up and the cannabis dispensaries that are coming up, you know, they're gonna be paying Weed Maps money to use their software to be on their platform, and they're gonna be paying advertising revenue if they need to. So like that's a company I'm actually very interested in because down the road you have all these dispensaries popping up once it's fully legalized. That's an area of exposure that I would maybe want to look into. Then you have another company called Innovative Industry Properties, right? So they're they're the ones who are responsible for basically purchasing uh, their uh, other REIT, okay? 
but they're purchasing greenhouses and they're renting to some of the bigger players out there. That is another area where I would say, okay, oh, I like well, that. Right? It's like a real estate, a real estate play on the on on the cannabis marketplace. Yeah. That's how do you he- how do you hedge your bets? Right. If you're in such a volatile market, how do you kind of hedge against that market risk? Real estate is always always has been for the most part a good way to do so uh, to hedge that. And then you have you know other brands, right? So you have Constellation Brands who they've they have a big stake in Canopy, but you look at how you know they're a beverage company, completely different. Uh, you're like, okay, why infused cannabis wine? Sure, I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mikey, he likes it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So th- those are different areas I would look at, and then again, looking at the yeah. Ten years from now, I mean, it's going to be a whole different landscape, right? Absolutely. I mean, this is going to be because this is just a huge growth industry in the states and and dc like i said need, need the tax money right what is this going to look like five or ten years from now so from a tax perspective it's really interesting right so you look at right now there's the 280e laws that are in place and it, they're it, they're terrible i mean it's really painful when you're trying to work with them and you have to because it doesn't allow you to take specific deductions against your business and that's huh. painful right so because until marijuana's off a of schedule one drug the 280 is going to be there. Eventually it's going to, you know, they're going to have to do something, but I think the current administration even said they're not looking at removing 280E anytime soon. So even though they may legalize it, they're not going to remove that regulation from the IRS perspective. Right. So, you know, you're still going to have companies that are going to have to pay those taxes. The states will definitely get a pickup in tax revenue, which is great. Some states definitely need it, Illinois specifically. Uh <laughs> Yeah, you have a pension fund mess out there, don't you? <laughs> That's one way to call it. You have these billions of dollars in unfunded pension liabilities. Man. Holy smokes. Yeah, it's, it's definitely scary. But, uh, you know, I think there is some tax revenue that will be helpful. But when looking more into how like CBD, hemp, where those companies are going, the technology behind it, you look at the distribution of those companies. How do you continue to do fulfillment, especially when you have all these different products coming out from CBD, CBG, CBN? People are like, wait, what are all these C letter words? I don't get it. But I think the science is still, the research is still coming. Hey, Nathan, on all the ancillary businesses that you're looking at to sort of hedge the bets, as you say, to me, that still has to be factoring in the absence of a federal law. Uh, to me, that's just how much do you want to build stuff out when the federal government could come in at any time and shut it down? I don't know if they will, but they can, right? In theory, yeah. I think at the end of the day, though, there's so much movement from just wanting to invest in marijuana and people and having the science behind it that it's it's not a dangerous drug, right? And when you look at that, I think, and again, I'm not going to say go do this, right? But in my opinion, I'm looking at those because I think it's a long-term play. You're not going to see, you're still going to see the volatile swings until there's actually full regulation. And again, if there is regulation there. Have you looked at the, have you looked at the tax revenue at places like Colorado and Washington State where it's been legal the longest? Has that done what it was expected to do? You know, I haven't done a ton of research into Colorado specifically. I've, I remember like reading articles and stuff of that nature, but nothing to really speak to. 
I remember, I think, reading an article back in the day where it's like they basically funded their entire full year budget. And based on the revenue that they were bringing in from like basically marijuana sales. And that's absurd. I mean, it's a, it's a healthy dose of tax revenues. I mean, even in Illinois, we've seen, uh, I don't have the number on me to quote it, but we've seen a very strong pickup in tax revenues just from marijuana sales from the open dispensaries since the beginning of 2020. Is it legal for recreational in Illinois? Yep, absolutely. So they've had some delays with a bunch of different licenses and things of that nature, but everything's fully legal now. And again, it's been, uh, I think it's been a good thing for Illinois specifically. Whether it will lower my property taxes is questionable, but yeah, that t- pro- that's those never going to happen. Down. They that's never go down. Nathan. I, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with taxes at all, Nathan, but <laughs> taxes don't go down. They have one direction on them. Uh, that is true. One can hope. You might be testing too much of your product if you think the taxes are going to go down. <laughs> <laughs> what, Nathan? What are the conversations with clients like about this? Do Older people, older clients have prejudices against this stuff and say, I'm never letting my kid invest in marijuana or something or, you know, like a grumpy old grandpa or something. Because, uh, uh, you know, I think of my parents who gave me all the talks about drugs back in the day. And my mother is, uh, you know, God bless her. She's passed, she passed away many years ago. She'd be spinning in her grave to think about people uh, legally investing or selling marijuana. Is there... Any tension in conversations around that? Uh, I think it's case by case, right? I think, you know, I look at someone like my dad. I would say when he was back in the 70s, he would probably be all for it. I haven't right. specifically spoke to him, but, you know, based on previous photos I've seen back in the day, maybe he would be. <laughs> He's got the sideburns and the mustache going on from the 70s then. Huh? Uh, yeah, did I send you that photo? Is that what you're referencing? <laughs> Every guy, everybody's dad in the 70s went through a phase, man. Absolutely. But I think there's more, I think the older generation may have more skepticism, but I think the younger generation where you're looking at more millennials, they're trying, like everyone's trying to do the whole, how do I get rich quick? What's the next Bitcoin? I know you guys just did a (laughs) a segment on that last week. So, you know, what's my next investment that's going to give me 10, 20, 50 extra turn in the next month? It's, that's (laughs) not going to happen. Like it. If it is you, you know, again, you you hit the gold rush and you struck gold. But I think the long term play, this is where I see like cannabis funds and stocks playing a role is from a long term perspective, not for your. And that's where I think you have this speculation from an older generation where they're like, hey, I got a conservative you know, portfolio right now. I'm retiring in five to seven years. Do I really want to take this type of risk? Maybe not. Whereas when you're a little bit younger, you have a little bit more flexibility there. And, you know, if we want to allocate a you know, portion of your portfolio to, to that, it could make sense. And especially when you have social investors, like they're looking more for, right, you know, right. how do you go more green? Pot is definitely one of those areas that people like to look at. Yeah. Well, one thing I would like to say as far as your references to uh, maybe some generations being against it is part of the aversion is that it is at the federal level and still at many state levels and is illegal. That's what people might, and once it's legal, people might have a different perspective on it. And, and also on Nathan, all those things, you all the benefits you were talking about of the CBD, you know, it helps your aches and pains and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, I just use rum for that or, or even bourbon. 
mean, I don't, I don't really understand why you have to all use all these newfangled concoctions that I get at the gas station. But Absolutely. that's <laughs> you know, uh, to pick your poison, right? But that's if you think about alcohol, right? It, you can consider it a poison toxin to your body. So I think when you're thinking of like more holistic medicine, you're thinking of, you know, you have this like all natural healers, like we're trying to clean the planet, we're trying to do clean energy, mm -hmm. all this about purification. This is very much in line with that CBD, CBG, these different compounds that can be beneficial for your health, that are also ways to improve it, according to some science articles, right? And other people in the field. Do you believe that? Do you, do you believe that personally or, or what? I do. I personally do believe that. But again, I, I still know that there's still science data and more research to do. I think they've only been right. really researching for the past you know, 15, 20 years consistently. So it's just not marketing nonsense in, in, in your estimation, even though there's no. got to be more research. I, I don't believe it's marketing no nonsense, not in my opinion. I mean, I, I don't know about the 15 years. I, I have some friends in high school that were researching this stuff, you know, <laughs> in, in like the in like the 11th grade I mean, and they were really serious about it you know they they spent hours researching it yeah our, our research consisted of dime bags back in the day you know yeah there you go uh, there, there are some good research uh cases out there these days right yeah now now fully legal all right. Well, I am going to have to go out and try and find some of that CBD stuff to check it out just for uh, research purposes. Although before, I, before your next round of golf, slather your body up in some of that yeah. CBD, buddy. <laughs> See before what you do before you pull, you know, 36 holes. Okay. You know, yeah. Anything's possible. Right. Right. <laughs> on. Right. On. Well, good stuff, Nathan. Very yeah, Nathan. educational. Of course. Thank you, Thank guys. You, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for helping us out. Absolutely. Take care, guys. Okay, that was some uh, that was interesting stuff. Learned a little bit more than I knew before about hemp, cannabis, CBD, and uh, rum. A lot more. Yes. So, but now we're going to talk about uh, the RIA roll-up market, as uh, as recently researched and written about by Bruce BK. Bruce, I, I got to tell you, I, I as you know, I cover this space also, and yes, and have become very familiar with a lot of the M and A activity and so forth, but. I never thought about it the way that you wrote it here with, you know, looking at the origins of the of the big buyers. And and I mean, to me, it was fascinating because when you when you pointed those people, I was like, yeah, I always thought of those as just part of everyone else. But maybe you could kind of lay it out for us, our, our audience on on, you know, kind of what you found out. Yeah, great. Thanks, Jeff. So this is our big cover story for this week. If you're listening to this podcast, you can go to our website and check it out. The title uh, right now, as we kind of finish it up, the headline is the RIA roll-up market has seen a decade of explosion. How do advisors make sense of it all? So when I do these cover stories, Jeff, I don't know how you process them, but mm -hmm. for everyone is different. Every cover story is different. It's going to be around 1,500 to 2,000 words or in that neighborhood, right? Which is a lot of reporting. But sometimes I like to take a step back and ask a, a simple question and get a big answer. Right. And that's what I was trying to do with this story. And I have it, I've been, I cover the RIAs for investment news, but I haven't been covering them as long as you have. 
just really, I started two or three years ago when our former editors, Fred Gabriel and Bob Hort pulled me aside and said, hey, we'd like you to do more work on the RIA B2 because wealth management is all becoming one thing. There's no, you know, broker dealers are now calling themselves RIAs and RIAs are attached to broker dealers and all this kind of stuff, right? So what I tried to do here was say, with all these new acquirers, they don't like to be called roll-ups. They don't like to be called aggregators, right? These new acquiring machines like CI Financial, Kurt McElpine, we talked to him on the podcast before, yeah. right? Mercer Advisors or Mercer Global Advisors, Serity Partners, Creative Planner. How do you take that this new group, which I think CI Financial did 13 acquisitions last year? Something like that, right? Yeah. They did. And they and, made how do you, and the guys, in my mind, when I was in investment news, the old offices on Third Avenue in Midtown Manhattan, and you know, you'd have this guy, Rudy Adolph, come in the office. Oh, who's he? Oh, he's, he's Focus Financial. What's Focus Financial? Ah, it's an RIA, <laughs> you know? And now he's like a $4 billion, three and a half to $4 billion publicly listed company. Yeah. In, in 10 to 15 years, he went from that just a guy walking through the investment news offices talking about RIA acquisitions and doing a roll up or, or you know now he's like a 3 and a half to 4 billion dollar company well when LPL went public in 2010 its market cap was 4 billion dollars it's now like an 8 or 9 billion dollar company and the stock is trading at 130 bucks a share focus financial shares are like 4750 per share right now but they've gained a lot of momentum in the past year or two because they've they've really been able to grow focus so my question was, who are the guys who started the RAA aggregator boom, which it really is? And how do these old these new guys compare? Right. So I said there's there are three prime originators, right? Focus Financial and Rudy Adolph, United Capital, Joe Duran, and Hightower with Elliot Weisbluth. And then you have a kind of an oddball player with Dynasty Financial and, and Sheryl Penny. So each of them had their own formula for either buying RIAs, buying the entire RIA. Uh, and in United Capital's case, they wanted they rebranded everything. And you had to become a United Capital advisor. In terms of Focus Financial, you kept your own brand. And they only bought, they could buy a PCU or they could buy the whole thing. And then in Hightower's case, they made you a partner. You got stock as well as cash. So how did all these three work and how do these new guys look like the old three? And was there any one, any one model that stood out? And what became apparent, and I must have spoken to a dozen people for this story. And what became apparent to me was that the old guard, Cheryl Penny, Rudy Adolph, I spoke to, Joe Duran, I couldn't get in touch with, and Elliot Weissbooth, I couldn't get in touch with. Those guys threw sharp elbows. <laughs> And you can hear it when you listen to the conference call, the analyst call with Focus Financials today. Rudy Adolph is very committed to his way of doing things. And he's all about the entrepreneur and giving you capital to grow your business. Plus, we have shared services that you can use, et cetera, et cetera, which sounds a lot like LPL in, in, in some ways, what LPL pitches to its advisors. And then you have someone like, United, like Joe Duran at United Capital. And Joe Duran was almost famous for absorbing everybody and everybody being almost like Starbucks under one brand and under one signage and all that kind of stuff. And these guys threw sharp elbows and the new generation, they're kind of pitching a kinder, gentler message 
they're saying there's room enough for everybody in here. The, the pool is big enough. The tent is big enough for everybody to to play under, and we're very collegial. So you have Dave Hubbard, uh, or Dave Barton, rather, over at Mercer. These guys have done dozens of transactions in the past few years, and they're saying, hey, if we don't, you know, and I forget if it was Dave or who exactly, but one of these newer CEOs said to me, you know, if it doesn't work out for us, he can go to some, this RIA can go to somebody else. And I said to him, I forget who it was. So I said, oh, you should get a finder's fee for, <laughs> you know, recommending this advisor. Because basically, it kind of breaks down to, do you leave the advisor alone, kind of like Rudy Adolph, but assist him if he wants, because you get better pricing with vendors and all that kind of stuff, because you're so big? Or do you absorb him completely, kind of like a Peter Maluk at Creative Planning does, and they come onto your form ADV? And so they're a creative planning advisor, but they get marketing back. For that they get leads and the like. So there's. I, I was just trying to lay out the options in my mind and for advisors and industry people who are going to read this because I think you know you say you're an RIA rollup or aggregator or network or whatever, and it all blurs together. But they're very they they have distinct paths or distinct offerings, and that's kind. Of, I wanted to compare the old the way the old guys did it and the way the new guys are doing it. Yeah. Well, even though there are many different ways of, of buying uh, financial advisory firms. Um, it seems like the driver is the thing that is consistent, and that is those steady and predictable asset-based fees oh. Oh, that man. are uh, the most resilient in the industry from fee compression. Until that- this is, That's the huge question. That's the huge question. Yeah, it- I mean, when that pressure comes, and it might never come. Oh, buddy, come this on! This whole model is going to be going to kind of going to kind of sink. I mean, you've got you've got billions of private equity dollars coming into the space because they look at these these advisory firms like annuities. You know, you've got somebody with you know a billion dollars in clients collecting one percent a year, and well, that's think, not. Th I mean, think of it: if you uh, the IBDA earnings before interest taxes. Amortization, depreciation, yeah. amortization. Yeah. On, um, I forget if it was for the year or for the or for the quarter, uh, for Focus Financial as percentage of revenue was twenty three percent. So that's and and so that's that's cash flow. EBITDA is is another term for cash flow. So you're getting a cash flow of twenty three percent, and they're in their growth phase too. You know what I mean? So if you can kick off twenty to thirty percent. Of cash flow as as part of revenue, that that's a really good business, man. And that's that's why the private equity guys, boys, are bid are, are paying so so he heavily for these things. The the valuations on these firms have doubled in the past ten or fifteen years as well for RIAs. Yeah, they and that's another thing that you'll hear. They they all talk politely to. <laughs> People like us, but I've heard some grumbling of people criticizing that Canadian firm CI Financial. They come in here with all their money and they're just spending like crazy. And I think Adolf call said people were spending like drunken sailors, right? I, on yeah, the I earnings think call, CI you know? CI was the biggest buyer last year. Well, they might have been neck and neck with Hightower, but you know, they're all this buying. I don't care what they say and how polite they want to be about. 
you know, having a big tent and everything. They're all competing with one another. And I know there are tens of thousands of financial advisory firms out there, but there are only so many that are big enough that these these consolidators want to. There, there are two or three hundred, right, or something probably. I forget Echelon Echelon Partners. When I spoke to Dan Sievert and our old colleague Mark Bruno is over there now too. And, and Dan Sievert represents the RIA looking to buy, to sell to one of these networks, and he really likes the valuation he's getting now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he did, he. He doesn't like the valuation of 10 years ago. <laughs> so I want I tried to get Dan to come on this week and he he had a conflict. So I hope we get to talk talk to him about this sometime in the future. But he thinks the valuation is fair now. But he's representing the $500 million RIA who's looking to get top dollar to sell. And of course his fee is probably connected, right, to the price yeah, that I he mean, can get. So And that whole thing about the valuation, the valuation is fair if the seller and the buyer agree. That's right. all that has to be to make it fair. But the fact is more and more of these quote unquote fair valuations keep driving everything up. And all of these aggregators are are paying up and up. And, you know, you could say, well, what's the big deal? But it just, to me, it puts more pressure on keeping those fees at 1%. And that's where I have an issue. Well, the, the other half of, of that point is that the stock market, in terms of its historic valuations, is at a, is at a crazy level right now. Yeah, right. The S and P, everything, S and P five hundred forward earnings or whatever is at thirty five times or something. I don't know, thirty thirty five times. So you're paying already a higher a double double valuation than it was ten years ago on assets that are way beyond their historic norm. So. <laughs> It is expensive. I mean, if you want to get into this market right now, it is expensive, coupled with your point that will there ever be true fee compression off that 1% that an RIA can charge year in and year out to manage people's money? Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to take a lot, a lot wiser consumer for that to happen, unfortunately. And I don't want to be critical of financial advisors because I think they provide a a valuable and necessary service. I just think they generally charge too much. But what I would like, what I'm waiting for is when the these aggregators start buying each other. Because right now it's a dogfight for the billion dollar firms. That's the next step. Yeah. I mean when when CI Financial buys Hightower, I mean we're gonna have to happen. 48 hours straight just to write all the stories we're going to write on that. Or deal. Rick Rick Edelman could step in, right? Uh, that's yeah. you know I when I was writing this, I was thinking about Rick but Rick had a different business model. Rick had kind of a, I'm the Rick Edelman financial planner. You can come into my office and talk to one of my financial planner guys. You know, it was very personal. He was on Oprah. <laughs> he was on selling books. He had his own radio gig, his paid for radio play that he yep. did. And a lot of people, I mean, he really built a tremendous business. So will Rick Edelman buy one of these things? And then you have big banks out there. Will Citigroup? look to get into the retail financial advice marketplace again after it sold Smith Barney to James Gorman mm-hmm. 10 years ago for a song. I will, you know, will Citigroup get back in there? I mean, Goldman Sachs bought United Capital for 750 million bucks uh, in 2019. And imagine if Joe Duran had waited another year or two years mm-hmm. <laughs> to sell that. He could have, he, maybe he could have gotten a billion dollars or a billion and a half 
But if Goldman Sachs is is buying United Capital, why wouldn't Citigroup buy a creative planning or something? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So yeah, I hear you. That's it from me, man. On on that. So yeah, that's a that's I'm I'm it was looking. A fun, it was a fun story to write. It was a real yeah. it, it was a real fun one to do. It's an, and it's an ongoing story. This is uh, this consolidation is is just going up. Well, these one last point on these on these RAA aggregators. When I got into this business 21 years ago, I mean, there used to be regional brokerage firms. Every state, you know, there was Leg Mason had a brokerage along with the asset yep. manager. Advest in Connecticut. You know, there was there was the one in, in Michigan that was bought by the tax planning shop. There was brokerages in Minnesota. You know, there's all the regional brokerage firms and they don't exist anymore because they were all acquired. And these RA networks are basically akin to these regional brokerage firms, you know, yeah. in, in my mind, except they don't push products. You know, that's not their game. No, nope. they uh, they provide advice and they manage portfolios. Yeah. And charge a, a nice fee to do so, as you mentioned. There you go. That's so that's a- it for me, my friend. All right. Well, hey, good stuff. I uh, I would encourage everyone to go to investmentnews.com and uh, check out Bruce's piece on uh, consolidation in the space. And go out there and do some research on CBD as well. Uh, maybe we'll bump into each other. Who knows? Wear your mask. <laughs> so, hey, Jeff, that was another great episode of the Investment News Podcast. If it's Monday, it's got to be an Investment News Podcast, right? So, we, yes, of course, sir. we want to thank our special guest, Nathan Parkins, who's a financial advisor and a planner and, and a consultant as well at Mole Financial and FinCap Advisors out in the land of Lincoln in Illinois. We also want to thank Stephen Lamb, our producer. Um, of course, you can find us at investmentnews.com as well as Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. The Twitter handles are at Benji Ryder and me, I'm at BD News Guy. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be talking to you next week.